Welcome to the My Why Podcast, where educational storytellers Jesse Mann and Kristen Travers discuss identity-defining moments with special guests. Inspiration ensues. Welcome to the Identity Project, a My Why Podcast. We aren't your regular podcasters, but Kristen and I love what we do, and storytelling is our passion. Today we share a shocking story, but a story of such strength and resilience with you. It discusses cancer and surgeries and covers health struggles, which we know may be difficult and triggering for some. Thank you so much for listening, and today we are just going to dive right in. We are very excited to welcome our next guest. I have known Ariel Farkash for many years as we used to work together at the same hospital. I've watched her journey over the years and have seen how she's overcome challenges of insurmountable health odds with grace and like a true warrior. At age 29, Ariel was diagnosed with ocular melanoma, a rare and deadly form of metastatic cancer. A large cancerous tumor was discovered in her right eye during an optometry exam in November, 2018. Radiation treatment by means of two surgeries and what has transitioned to ongoing treatment since December 2018 has presented her with the opportunity to learn about herself, self-care, mental health, and why giving back to the community that she is now part of is so important. Thank you so much, Ariel, for joining us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we were so thrilled to have you. Obviously, I've, I've known you for, for many years, and I've kind of seen how um, your resilience and grace kind of overcoming this story that you've kind of been dealt with, these cards that you've been dealt with. Um, you were diagnosed with a rare form of cancer when you were just 29. Can you explain a little bit more about this and what it was like to hear that diagnosis? It was, yeah, kind of mind-blowing because I just actually thought I needed glasses. I'd just gotten home from a trip and my eye was kind of giving me some lights and my sister said, oh, you have an astigmatism. And I went, everything was good. My vision was perfect. Um, and so it was very shocking when the last thing they needed to do was just to look at those pictures and I could go and they looked at them and it was like a big ordeal. Um, there was a big tumor inside my eye. Um, I, I kind of had said, what are we looking at? Um, and once I was you know, orientated to what we were looking at, it looked fairly terrible. Um, and so it was just, unbelievable really and I remember going home and it was a long weekend and just being like what if it's cancer like what what is this like what's going to happen and I kind of thought oh maybe it's just like some fluid or whatever but as soon as I was referred off I knew something bad was happening and you go there right away um so it was just essentially unbelievable if you talk to someone who's been diagnosed with cancer they would probably tell you it was unbelievable or just didn't feel real at all do you remember, Ariel, when, so you get transferred off, you're sitting there with your specialist. Do you remember the moment that you heard the, the dreaded, awful C word? So I didn't get that right off the hop. Um, from my optometrist, I went to ARC, Alberta Retina Consultants. Um, I kind of got thrown into this weird clinic I'd never been to. Lots of different rooms. I was doing an angio I was doing all different kinds of tests and then they started asking me questions about um, tanning beds and skin cancer and family history and I thought oh like you know it's it's just we're just talking this is just routine and then they said no we need to do an ultrasound and I was like mm, that wasn't in the plan today that made me kind of scared I dug my heels in and I thought this is it um, and so the first word of it was just from a second doctor who had said you know, we think you have melanoma. It, I can't say for sure you need a MRI, but so I didn't get that big C. Um, I got something that sounded less bad to me, like melanoma. I was like, okay, all right, I can deal with that. Let's just like, you know, I kind of packed a bag because I thought I would get this minor surgery and go home um, maybe that day or the next day. So it was a later shock for me, and I would say um, further in, I got more of a shock, and I would say the worst day wasn't even the day I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, it, would, it would have been the day that I found out that if this comes back because this metastasizes, you have 18 months at best. And so it has not metastasized? No, at this point, so I don't know if you guys want 
an explanation on this, but um, sure. I chose to get a biopsy. So this um, cancer is one of the very few that are not diagnosed with a biopsy. You do uh, MRI. So I had an MRI of my head. They were like, yeah, no, this is what it is. I got a phone call saying, yeah, you have this metastatic cancer in your eye. And I was like, okay, thanks so much. Like, have a good day. Cause you know, it's coming. Like they were 98% sure. Um, and at that point I started dealing with my oncologist who said 98% were there kind of thing. Um, I chose to have a biopsy when I had my surgery. So you can get a biopsy when they put the plaque on your eye, because my understanding is, is that fluid they take, you just have to slap the radiation on it right after you're going to have problems with spread type of deal. Um, so my biopsy, there's three different levels. So there's a 1A, which is what I am. So I have a 2% chance of having cancer again in five years. There's a 1B and you have a 21% chance of having cancer again in five years. And then there's a class two. And that is, I think, 72% chance of having cancer again in five years. So the numbers are insane. Um, it goes from two to 72 and it's just like, how is that happening? Um, so though that to me was worse, was finding out all of that information. Um, but I count my lucky stars all the time that I came back one A. Mm -hmm. So I want to share, and we talked off there before, um, for our listeners. So I want to share a few of the big stats and then we'll get you to dive into some of the more statistics that hit a little bit closer, um, to home for you. So pretty safe to say, Ariel, that this was not a part of your plan going through something like this. And it's not a part of hundreds of thousands of people each year that go through hearing that they have cancer and different things like, um, you know, different health concerns. So cancer is the leading cause of death in Canada and is responsible for 30% of all deaths. It is estimated that in 2020, 115,000 Canadian men will be diagnosed with cancer and 44,000 of those men will die from cancer. 110,000 Canadian women will be diagnosed and just under 40,000 women will unfortunately lose their, lose their life to cancer. So there are some stats I know that are a little bit closer to home for you. And I'd like you to share with our listeners just how rare this is. Um, so yeah, you know, I'll tell you when I went to the oncologist at the cross, he sat down with me and he just said, this is the cancer is common. Go to the phone book, point to the first person, they get it. The next person doesn't, the next person does. And that just really like was earth shattering to me. Like you hear about it happening all the time. And as we get older, um, you just hear it happening more and more, um, it's huge. I've, I've encountered it so much in my personal life. Um, you know, since my diagnosis before that, and it's going to continue. Um, this cancer that I have is, and I, I forgive my, or sorry, apologies. I can't remember where this stat came from. Um, but in Alberta, um, it's about six in a million people in a year. So because it is rare, I feel fortunate um, from hearing other people's cancer diagnosis stories that they pretty much know what it is when they see it there. So they ship you right to the right person and it's so deadly that they just want to get it taken care of. So from the moment that I was diagnosed, it was like three weeks and I was at the cross getting my surgery. Um, there was none of this oh, you know, that doesn't sound, you know, you hear of people and I've said it where cancer presents in sort of a really pathetic way, like, oh, headaches or back pain or just really minimal symptoms, which I just find heartbreaking because, you know, what do you do when someone has back pain? Send them, you know, for all the scans all right away. Like it, it just presents in such a way that it's hard to pinpoint, I think, for doctors. Um, and it's, it's an easy thing to brush off on the side of being a patient. Um, so yeah, it's super rare, more common with elderly people. Um, and they don't know what causes it. Um, one of the specific questions that I was asked was around being a welder. They think that welders are, and that kind of thing can cause it. Um, 
you know, so, so that gives you no kind of closure. Um, I was asked about tanning beds, things like that. So um, it just breaks my heart that I, you know, when I'm getting my hair done, I still see people coming in to go tanning and stuff like that. But, you know, four years ago, going on a trip, that was me too. So yeah, it's just, it's rare. And I don't think enough people know about it to take care of their eye health, which is heartbreaking for me as well. So Ariel, how often do you think of this? You know, you are on the, I guess, the, the better side of some of those numbers and stats of the three that you shared. How often is this something that enters into your, your thoughts on a, on a daily basis? Is it weekly? Are you able to kind of push it aside or do you uh, try and step into it sometimes to process it that way? Um, you know, I'm about a year and a half out, I think. Um, and it was a huge relief to know, hey, you know, I only have a 2% chance in the next five years. Obviously, after five years, that risk continually goes up. I think it goes to 5%. Um, I used to think about it a lot more than I do now. Um, I did a lot of work uh, mental health-wise when I was diagnosed and trying to work my way through this stuff. Um, I talked to a psychologist. I did EMDR, so dealing with that PTSD type stuff and trying to, like, desensitize myself to the fact that like this could happen again um one thing that kind of happens and I I I know people probably empathize because of it but don't maybe fully get it but it can just take you to your knees almost to pick up the mail and um have something in it from your oncologist clinic and this happened to me geez I have the papers right in front of me and it was just to do yearly um chest CT, blood work, abdominal ultrasound, ruling out mets, basically. Um, and that that's really hard. Like, it will knock you back 10 steps because you think you just to read on a requisition that says rule out mets, right? Like, it's, it's a difficult thing. And all of us cancer people um, talk about scan day and we talk about scanxiety. And it's huge. Like, you're, it's D-Day all over again. Um, there are those people that are way higher risk than me and they get PET scans every three, four months, which I don't know. I, I guess you do it cause you have to do it and you figure it out. But I, I definitely like, I'm so grateful that I'm not there, but it, it absolutely weighs on your mind and you just have to do your thing and I, I work through it and I just take care of myself in the ways that I need to when I'm dealing with that stuff. So Ariel, um, so we are both nurses. Um, so I found when I was diagnosed with a stroke and with all of the other health issues, I found that worked well for me and then sometimes not. So sometimes I found it worked really well for me because I knew exactly what I was facing um, I knew exactly what the stats were and I knew exactly um, what they meant. But at the same time, it was almost like I knew too much and I knew what to worry about and what not to worry about. And so what was your, what was your um, relationship with being a nurse and having a cancer diagnosis? Because you know all those stats and you know what they mean, where the, the average person probably wouldn't. Um, I actually felt bad for lots of the people I was dealing with because that optometrist right off the hop, I said, what's worst case scenario? What are we talking about here? And he was just like, well, like, I can't really say there's these blood vessels. And I said, oh, so it's a tumor. And he just turned and looked at me like, please stop talking. And I said, listen, man, I told you I was a nurse. Like, we have to talk about this. <laughs> I want to know. That's a tumor. Um, and so... It's, it's exactly like you said, you know, a little too much. Um, because even, you know, I know that I'm getting a chest CT um, in September instead of a chest x-ray because they're worried. I had a large tumor. To put it into perspective, you could look at a cigarette butt and that's about how big the tumor in my right eye was. Um, when they caught it, it, it was obviously there for a while. Um, so, you know... It, you just, you know too much and it had just crossed the line of being from medium to large. Um, and I mean, at sometimes it is good because I feel like I'm a realist and I know that, you know, being a nurse and this happening to me, it's, it's okay because I'm a realist. I'm not telling myself any lies or 
you know, I'm, I'm asking for what I need. And being a nurse, I will say was a good thing because it helped me navigate the system and understand it a little bit better. And people kind of, they didn't call me down about it, but they were like, you just did so good because you knew so much, you knew the system, you knew what to do. And I was like, no, I'm a force to be reckoned with. So that's partly the problem with why I got what I wanted or asked for it because I asked, right? Have you always been that force to be reckoned with? How has this diagnose changed your, there to the listener, they're both shaking their head like, yes, yes. He's always <laughs> He's <been> a force. <laughs> but, so how has your approach to life changed since the diagnosis and the surgeries? Um, so like to answer your question, yes, I've, I've always been that person that just kind of says what's on their mind. I'm a straight shooter. I'm pretty clear communicator in that way. Um, I've always kind of believed if you, if you don't ask, you don't get, and you got to take care of yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Um, for a while, and uh, even at times now, like cancer takes away or took away my confidence. I will say that. Um, you know, you go from having perfect vision to, I can't even describe how bad my vision was after my surgery, um, to it being good. Now it's declining. We don't know how bad it's going to get. So it takes away your confidence. Um, it made me step back and sort of be more cognizant of choosing my battles. Um, you want to give a shit, but you can't give a shit about everything to put it kind of the way I operate is you can only care about the things that, that are really important. Um, so it really helped me to prioritize what I want to do, why I want to do it. And, you know, basically what I'm choosing to participate in in life and not. And so what have been some of those things that you have kind of gotten rid of and some of those things that you think probably uh, would have bothered you that don't so much anymore? Um, some of the things I've gotten rid of is, um, allowing people to do things for me to make themselves feel better. I don't operate for that. I tell people, Hey, like, I don't need, I don't need this help you're giving me. Here's what's ideal for me. Um, if we can make that work, that's great. But I, I really kind of just advocate for myself and, and to put that more generally, it's boundaries. Um, I don't let people do things for me or put me in positions to make themselves feel good. Um, so I have those boundaries. I've, I've also just, you know, if something makes me uncomfortable or like, I don't want to go to an event, I don't go. Like I used to be more of that kind of people pleaser in a way where, oh, I should go. It's, it's this, that, or the next thing. Um, and so lots of it has just been boundaries. Um, and just knowing and thinking about more what I want and what's good for me. Um, lots of what I've done is really catering to self-care. And I think lots of people are struggling with figuring out what that is during this pandemic because the world is telling people to go for a run or to bake or to eat baking or create recipes or clean their house or whatever. Um, and people just don't know what way to turn. So it's just, listening to myself more is a huge thing that I've put into place. So what would you tell people that are struggling with finding their self-care or um, have a massive diagnosis that they're just kind of figuring out what, what they should do next? So what would you tell them? First thing is get a journal. <laughs> your journal is your best friend. Um, it's like terrifying to read my journal from previous, like it, it, you know, I've always, I've looked back in my journal some and I actually did a little bit of reflecting on that today because there's some gold in my journal. Like there is such good advice, thoughts, things like that, that, you know, you're like, I'm never going to forget this, but I'm so happy I wrote in that journal. Um, it becomes a soundboard or is, at least that's what it became for me because saying the things that are in your head are crippling. Like it broke my heart to write some of that stuff down. Um, and I even just think about some of the stuff and it's just, it breaks your heart. Um, so if you can at least get something out on paper, 
it's gonna sort of, for me, it lifted a weight away from me. Um, the second thing I, t I would tell someone is set some boundaries with people. I go back to this all the time. I had people trying to help me in ways that made them feel good, but they didn't consider who I was and what I needed. So it becomes a boundary thing. Um, and just ask for help. Cast your net and throw it really far because you won't regret it. I did that. They gave me a book from the CCI. It was like a little brochure roadmap thing. And it had all kinds of contacts in it from like dog yoga to like yoga painting with your toes. Like those aren't real things, but it had like everything in it. And it had just call this person for therapy and call this person. And I remember calling the CCI and I said, I need a therapist. Like I can't deal with what's going on in my head right now. Like I need some help. And they said, well, we can do it whenever. And I said, no, I can't do that. That's not soon enough. My surgery is in this much time. I don't get 57,000 treatments of radiation. I get a Monday surgery and a Friday surgery. So I need someone. And they gave me a spiritual counselor, um, which was kind of the coolest thing ever. I, I don't follow any religion. I just kind of follow um, being a good human as best as I can and being real. And it was amazing. And I got that because I asked for it. So if you need something, ask for it because no one's mind readers and you're not going to find your way if you don't cast a net and get in contact with people. Mm -hmm. I, I really like what you said there because I, I really struggled with that the first maybe two years of, you know, being diagnosed and all of this stuff. And, and um, I had my stroke and then I had seizures and a whole bunch of other stuff and I was recovering. It was constant recovery. And I had two little ones. And a lot of people just wanted to come and clean my house or, or give me food or stuff that, I mean, I, it was wonderful and generous from them, but it, not necessarily what I needed. And, and you're right. And if I would have taken the time to actually ask what I needed, like help with the kids or, or stuff that I, I, could, I could go sleep or th that kind of stuff when I could recover, I think it would actually save me some relationships now because I, I do think that I was very bad at advocating for myself and now I'm good at it because I, you know, trial and error. But, but I think every, every person that we've talked to that has had a healthcare struggle, they have learned the lesson that we need to advocate for ourselves in the healthcare system or with our family in general, or those that support team, we, we do need to advocate for ourselves. We're so polite. You know, Canadians are so polite. It's one thing I love about us. Um, when we're traveling, you know, everybody recognizes, oh, you're Canadian. And they know that for the most part, you're going to be nice people. And sometimes I, in my experience with myself or others, it's like we're too, too nice to say I need something specific or we don't want to put people up or we don't. The reality is, is that people in our corner want to help. They just don't know how. And so, yeah, we... Kristen's not wrong when she says advocacy seems to be one of the big encompassing themes of all of the casts. I want to go back to your journal for a little bit and um, get into some of, like you said, there's some gems in there and I can relate to that. I write different things down and then I forget about it and I come back and I look and I think, whoa, like I was smart. I forgot that. I haven't lived by that. You know, so what is some of that great advice? And if you'd be so um, kind and, and vulnerable and raw to share with us some of those fears that went through your mind and maybe still go through your mind, you know, living and dealing with this. Yeah, I apologize. I should have pulled out my oldest journal um, a while ago and started rereading it um, as best I can because sometimes it is hard to reread this terrifying business. But um one thing I, I had not leaned on as much in the past because I, I don't feel like, I don't even know. People are like, you're so resilient. and like, how, like, what have I been through in life? But I guess I've been through stuff now. But even before that, I'm like, what, what, you know? Um, but I started to lean a lot on music. My husband is huge into music and I don't even know how I found all this stuff, but just, I wrote down quotes from it. It taught me stuff. Um, like music became an amazing, huge thing for me. Um, 
I wrote down like, and I don't want to say this right now. Like I wrote down like gratitude stuff because it's so hard and that's a, a shitty thing to say to someone who's going through such a shitty time. Um, but you know, I wrote down things like, you know, just, I have a thing here. It says truths. Waiting is the hardest part. Um, you know, I, I ran into a guy when I was really sick and I remember almost crying in the post office and here I am again here. <laughs> and he just said, we all aren't going to live forever. And it's true. And it's just good things to remember. Um, some of the things I remember um, writing down are things like um, advice to other people. So like when someone's going through something, less is more when it comes to your voice. Um, everything that that sick person says doesn't require a follow-up comment or consoling. Just let it ride. Um, you know, do something. I've talked about setting boundaries and believe me, I had to tell people I loved like, nope, this isn't working for me. Thanks, but no thanks. Here's a journal for you. And I did give people journals. <laughs> um, and that's just me being kind of tough and needing to just, I just was at the point where I needed to remove myself. Um, but, you know, if, if someone's going through a hard time, you don't necessarily have to be like, what can I do? What can I do? Just pick up your foot and move it forward. Just do something. Because I've been there where people are going through hard stuff. And I think to myself, I don't want to bother them. I don't know what to do. But something is better than nothing is some advice that I would give. Um, you know, just, just to be there. But not on the forefront too is another thing for people. Like I know my mom and my sisters and friends were always really um, available to me, but they were never pushy. They were never phoning me every day, but that's me as a person. I don't want that. So um, just reminding people of who you truly are and what you need, I think. And as the person on the other side of it is just remembering and kind of reflecting on who is this person and what do they actually need and what can I do that fits for them. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think you're right is, is reflecting on who that person is, not necessarily what you want to do or what you would want in that situation, but who that person is. Um, I love how you got that gem from a, a man in the post office. Yeah, it was a buddy of mine and it broke my heart, but I was like, shit, man, you're right. <laughs> yeah, honestly, there's so many gems and people have so much wisdom if you just listen. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a big thing too, is just, and like you said, to, to not follow up with every, every comment, to just be there and just listen, right? You don't need a response. You just, you just need to sit there and just listen. Be there, you know hear them, make them feel valued. And, and that's all we need really. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what are you most hopeful for going forward with all of this? Mm, that's a loaded question. Um, I am hopeful for, um, I guess my life to return to more normalcy. Um, I kind of messaged earlier today saying it's so hard right now where I'm at in my treatments. Um, and I had not intended or anticipated things to go the way they have. Um, I thought my surgery was just like Monday and Friday. And then I was just like, I knew I'd have to get injections in my eye at some point. And oh yeah, it's every three months, that's good. Um, I've had complications and I'm getting those injections monthly now. Um, and it's always just kind of riding by the seat of your pants. And I just, my big hope is that I can have some normalcy and be able to plan a life um, greater than one month at a time, because it's hard. Like, I, I think most people want to have some control and I'm a, I'm a red personality. So I'm like, I want to, whatever I can do to make my situation better, I want to do it. You want a list done, give it to me and I'll do it. Um, so being told to wait and pause and just wait on a lot of life is hard. Um, so yeah, I think just returning to normal and being able to do things like 
plan having kids or plan a vacation or just anything like that. And I mean, obviously I would like to not be going to all these appointments all the time. I, I totally respect that they are helping me and I need them right now, but my hope is like more of a return to normalcy and to sort of move past having such an active life of cancer. That is, makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. that definitely does make sense. So you mentioned, and you have a husband. And so what is it like seeing him navigate all of this? Yeah, it, it was hard to watch really, because I was just basically crying the whole time. <laughs> um, and it's just hard to see the person you love have to just do all this stuff that you're like, we shouldn't be doing this. We are literally 29. And 32 like what is going on um but you know like I can't say enough for how my husband stepped up and you know it just I don't know how it all worked out but his work it just allowed him to be home every night or me to be where he was and um he did so much with um coming to appointments and listening because I don't know if this happens to you Kristen but you start thinking about a question you have and then they're telling you something but you're focused on what you're looking for information wise and you miss a lot of information. I don't know, maybe I'm just a bad listener. Yep. hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Kyle helped me a lot. Kyle, you know, he picked up his feet, picked up what he needed to and moved it and made it happen. And he was honest with me when I asked him hard questions. Um, And, you know, that was the best that I could ask for really was someone who supported me and was around, but you know, he, was amazing like I can't even I could never thank him enough for all the shit that he went through and that we go through regularly now but yeah it was it was sort of amazing because you just see someone sort of flourish in front of you very quickly um and Kyle has always been a very resilient person um so there's no doubt in my mind that he was made for that role and to do that stuff for me and he he was just like an Olympic athlete of the support and healthcare system. It was amazing. And so Ariel, how important is it to have those, like you said, those hard conversations because it's, it's easy. And I think again, Canadians, maybe, maybe people in general, I don't know it. Sometimes we don't have those hard conversations and we just get, okay, I'm going to go to my appointment. My appointment's over and I'm going to roll forward. And I don't want to talk about the tough stuff. Let's just put that under the rug. Let's put that in a box. Let's put that on the shelf and not address it. How important are those hard conversations to have with your husband, your spouse, or those people that are really, really close in your circle? I can't even describe like a million out of a hundred. Like they're just, I can't even put a number to it barely. Like some of the questions are so concrete and it's like, you know, the answer and they're simple, but you need to ask them because they're just lingering in the back of your mind. And, um, being in super high stress during um, my cancer diagnosis, it was like questions that shouldn't have even been a question, but they're there. Um, And I know that they would have weighed me down hugely um, in a big way. And that I, I just wouldn't have healed as well as I did from everything had I not asked them. Um, And, you know, like, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes we avoid hard conversations and, you know, I say I'm a straight shooter, but sometimes I don't want to talk. Like it's just, it's, it's a struggle sometimes. Um, But I do think it is so important and it just helps people to understand where you're going and where you're coming from. And, you know, that kind of thing, like, you know, it's just, and it's, it's hard too, because I wanted to bring this up when we had a conversation during this podcast, but people don't like to talk about things when they're still trying to get shit figured out. They want to post on social media and be like, I have beaten cancer and I have helped my mental health and I have done the things. They don't want to post when it's a mess. And I get that. But at the same time, not presenting as like being successful all the time or being like, I reached the finish line is helpful too. 
It allows people to give you support. And that's why I've been very open with sharing and talking about everything because that's what was right for me. Some people had said to me, holy man, if I was in your position, I wouldn't tell anyone. I would stay home. I wouldn't do anything. That wasn't what was for me. Um, and maybe it comes down to personalities, but for me, like it's kind of, you get that perspective and understanding. So it is really important to talk about it all. Mm-hmm. So when was it, and when was it the messiest for you and how did you get through that? I would say the messiest for me was like I kind of alluded to earlier, it was, it was shocking getting diagnosed with cancer, but it was so much worse finding out that if this comes back, you're kind of done for. That was terrible. I just remember like, what? And I cried all the way from the time we left that room. I was basically crying all the way till I got home and I crawled in bed and I cried and it was just, it was a mess because I thought my life was ending and I had no biopsy results. And I'll tell you, that was the longest three weeks of my life. You know, like people are talking a lot about what's happening right now in the world and it's so uncertain and they don't know, you know, if, if their kids are going back to school in the fall and that's really hard. And I empathize with them. Um, But you go back to that whole, like, you don't know what your chances are of being alive in five years. And that's a mess. That's a mess in your head. That's a mess on paper. That's probably just a disaster for people to hear right now. And I mean, realistically in perspective, looking back, it's like no one knows what their chances of being good in a year or whatever. Um, So I think that's a perspective thing. Um, But that was the messiest it got was just finding out truly how bad things were. And, you know, I remember kind of, People saying, well, that's terrible that you weren't told that right when you got diagnosed. And that's bad that you didn't know that going into it. And I was like, no, that was okay. And I don't know if that was maybe forgotten or what had happened there, but that was the right path for me. And I actually like believe that like throughout all of this, like all the right things have happened for me. Like since I got diagnosed with cancer, it really hasn't been like everything's gone okay for me. And I have the perspective to kind of reflect on that. Yeah, we, we've talked to a few people that have like life-altering diagnoses or life-altering surgeries or, or shifts in perspective prior to this. And they're all handling this COVID era quite well because they had that to prepare them for this, really. And we, we have a different perspective. And Jess has quite... Um, a lot of health issues too. She has a a liver disease and I mean, she's, she's on the same health path that we are too. I mean, definitely all different, but um, we have that same perspective and, and it's definitely a a different perspective because I mean, yes, it's, it's awful. And it's, um, we don't know what the future is holding with COVID and, you know, if our kids are going back to school and whatever, but we don't know what our future is holding day to day. And I think that is the biggest thing too, is like understanding. And we talked about surrendering, talked about like there's a power in surrendering and just kind of letting go of that control, which we don't have. No, like no matter what our health is, we just don't have that. And it's kind of freeing to understand that we only have one day and we only have this day and this moment to kind of embrace it. But at the same time, it's still hard to not have that control with a massive diagnosis that you have. Yeah. So you are all about to shift gears a little bit. You're all about community and especially with this, um, you were all about the community that you grew up in and you were very involved in the community. And, and um, so now you have a new community and um, you, can you tell me a little bit about the community and what that means to you? and how you have made your struggle worth it in the ways that you're giving back. Yeah, I kind of had posted at times, like I'm now a statistic and it's, it's all three of us. We really are. We're a statistic. We're a number. Something's happened and we fall into that category. Um, But being part of sort of this community of this sort of really rare cancer um, has 
has allowed me to see that there are so many other people dealing with it. And it's kind of amazing because you then you become like, I have sort of become what I refer to as sort of like a cancer warrior because any other person that gets diagnosed with cancer, you're like, Oh, like, you know, you feel for them and, but you feel like you can kind of support them in a different way and that kind of thing. Um, and there's a huge community actually with ocular melanoma. My husband, I don't know, he found this girl on Instagram um, and she was a stage four survivor. So she had a lot more going on than me and she's written a book. She's amazing. And I was like, wow, it's so cool to find someone in Australia that's like younger than me, same kind of stuff going on, but different. Um, and it kind of gives you hope. It's that well, like when you go and look for a specific car and you're like, mm, I've never seen this before, but then you see it everywhere. That's what it does. And it, it, you know, there's so many times that I felt alone in that waiting room because everyone was senior citizens and I felt like it was so unfair that I was there and I was like, why me? Why is this my spot? Like, why am I here? Um, but what I've done is I've, I've been, when I was at the clinic up in Edmonton, um, some of the staff were like, oh yeah, we need this new camera, blah, blah, blah. And I had said something at one point to the ultrasound girl that I became friendly with that, oh yeah, if you guys need help with anything, I would help you. Um, so I've been able to um, act as a patient advocate at the Royal Alex Hospital Foundation and work with their grant writer. Um, I actually like talked to a couple of local Lions clubs in my area and Elks and received um, some donations and they've now like reached their funding goal, which is awesome to get this camera. Um, when I started being involved, I'm just that person that's like, well, no one else is going to do it. So I want to do it. And it's like, I feel like everyone else at the waiting room is like 89 and they just don't have to get up and go or know how to take a selfie to get their picture on the website as a patient advocate. So I stepped up and did that. And I'm just so grateful because going into that eye clinic, the staff are talking about the camera. They don't know who I am. They don't know I'm a patient advocate and someone was training and they were saying, but when we get that new camera, it's going to be great. It's going to be so fast and helpful. And it's going to be great. I was like, Oh, the Clara 700. And they were like, yes. And I was like, Oh yeah. And they're like, how do you know about it? I was like, Oh, I'm the patient advocate with the grant writer. And they were like, Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's so great. Like you're doing such great work. Um, so now they have this camera and I actually thought I would never benefit from the camera or use it, but it turns out it will be part of my care when I go there. So just doing little things like that, I think is beneficial because they basically needed a face to make the story go and to present to clubs and to kind of make it happen. So just being able to do that, like, Truly, it doesn't feel like a huge effort for me, um, but I don't know that they would have got that funding in place if there wasn't a patient advocate, right? Ariel, you just, you like are lighting up talking about this. How has this sense of community and you diving into supporting this whole trying to get this camera, how has it sort of taken the place of medication for you, you know, and, and mental, like positive mental health? Yeah, it's just, it's another, um, it's another goal that you've reached. You just sort of start realigning and wanting different things. And, and, you know, I just wanted to help because the situation with the camera was I had to go to Calgary to get a similar photo done and being in the healthcare industry, um, I know people have financial strain, they don't have good vehicles, people don't have support, um, whether that be a driver or a support family member or whatever. Um, and I just knew not everyone is as fortunate as me. They can't just get to Calgary on a whim and that kind of thing. And of course, when you're dealing with your eye, like they're going to dilate it and then you can't drive. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been really positive to just be able to work with the grant writers and the other people that were on that team and just reach those goals as a group. Um, and it's actually amazing too, just to be in contact with even my local like Vermilion Lions club. I presented to them and I talked to them and they were like, wow, you're really passionate about this. And I was like, yeah, I want to help other people because like, if I can just help one person, that makes it more worth it or worth it period. And you shared before we began today too that many of these new technologies are 
you know, quite clearly finding um, the cancer in younger people sooner, which I mean, is, is a positive for sure. But it also, you kind of said that it has helped your journey a little bit too, knowing that it's not just people, you know, 85 and above that are experiencing it. Yeah, and I kind of have always, it kind of stumbled upon, I just kind of stumbled upon it as I got going with all this and doing an initial like social media post because when I got cancer, I was just like, I'm not hiding from this because being in a small community, it's like people care, but people also like want to know or think they know. And I was like, I'm not playing that game. So if you want to talk about me, you can refer to this, this, the post with the information and that's great. Um, but posting as well, kind of, it removes me from having to talk to everyone about it, but it also lets me tell people, this is what's up. You should get your eyes checked. And you know what? You should also pay $30 and get your eye dilated. Because if you get your eye dilated, they're going to find something when it's small. Um, I would actually love to like lobby to have that covered, like dilated eye exams, um, because it's huge. It's so, so huge in um, early detection and being preventative. Um, and I also advocated because it was like, my vision was perfect. I had no changes. I had a weird light happening. And then I started feeling a little more like I was looking underwater, but you can still have perfect vision and have something seriously wrong. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. I will absolutely be doing that. And uh, yeah, when you are at your next eye appointment, please make sure that you listen to Ariel's advice and ask those questions for sure. So you are talking lots. I'm hearing lots about your whys. And I think, um, you know, obviously Kristen is too. So what are some of your other whys? Why are you putting in all this extra effort right now? Why are you putting that one foot in front of the other when it would probably some days for sure be easier just to stay in bed like that three weeks that you experienced? it's helping people, right? Like I've, I've always, you know, I guess that's partly why you're, I was drawn to maybe the nursing profession and doing that thing is you're helping people. Um, and I think that the world doesn't have enough people presenting realistically. Like I've, I've probably mentioned already here, like I'm a realist. So, um, you know, I have a sister who's kind of a dreamer and I'm always like, okay, but like, what if this happens and what is the outcome? Like, what are your plans? What are you thinking? You know? Um, and I wish sometimes I was a little bit more of a dreamer, but it's just to help people and to represent just, you know, people that are just trying to get along. Like, I know it's like the most cliche thing to say that like, oh, no one's perfect. And this, that, and the next thing it's like, no one is. Um, and I just, I just want to help people. And like, I know, like if I could just literally help for one person to kind of have awareness of get your eyes dilated or get your eyes checked. Cause at age 29, I had a lot of friends only obviously when I was diagnosed with cancer and people said, Oh, I've had my eyes checked since I was like 16. I'm like, oh, I was overdue by two years and look what's happening to me. Like, you know, and I regret that, you know, I've, I've let go of regretting that I just, didn't make time to get my eyes checked because what a silly thing to do. Um, but I'm just trying to remind people like in all cases, like go to the dentist, get your eyes checked, like just do all that stuff that you put off because you don't have time. Cause I can tell you it's a far better investment to invest like an afternoon than it is months and months of your life where you feel like you're limited in how you're living. Yeah. Gynecologists and like pap smears and things too is another, you know, you'll talk to a friend and they're like, Oh, I've never had one. You're, you're 30. How is your doctor? What are you talking about? You've never had one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's so many with, with free healthcare. Um, there's so many things that you can check on ahead of time. And a big part of my job, um, that I do with primary care is, um, it's around a program called Alberta Screening and Prevention. So it is a lot of preventative screening. So it's like you're saying like PAPs, mammograms, colonoscopies, fit tests, things like that, blood pressure, height, weight, like all the things um, that people just don't necessarily want to do um, because they're not glamorous and pretty and they're just another thing on your to-do list. Um, but they they have huge health outcomes, same as all of them. And I just, I just wish that there was more out there about eye health and 
you know, like there's so many commercials about all the other different kinds of cancer. And I'm like, why can't we just have like an optometry thing to remind people to get their eyes checked or do an dilated eye exam, like things like that are a huge platform that I would totally love to be involved in. I don't even know how to be, but I'm like, man, that'd be awesome. You could reach so many people. It's great. Free eye care um, for pediatrics up until 18. You don't have to pay, you don't have to do anything. You just have to make an appointment for all of the kids. And I don't think a lot of people know that in Alberta, for sure. Um, so free eye care for kids. Um, and then it's, it costs minimally. Like there's, there's especially seniors, I'm, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I don't think seniors pay for their eye care either. Um, but anyways, there's lots of, of avenues to get your eyes checked. And you're right, I, I think it should be I think it should be free for any age, but um, we definitely need to get our eyes checked. And if you don't have glasses, people often don't get their eyes checked. I'm pretty sure that my sister has never got her eyes checked. I get, I have contacts, so I get my eyes checked regularly because I need contacts. But, um, but yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing to to bring up. So in closing today, Ariel, what is one thing that you would like our listener to leave with and take away from your story? And let, like, there are a lot of things we can take away from your story. And thank you so much for sharing. But one thing that you would want them to remember, totally putting you on the spot here. I think the biggest thing that's all encompassing that could come from me is to um, take care of yourself in all ways. Um, know your limitations and your boundaries, but also don't be afraid to ask for what you need to take care of yourself, whether that's a mental health contact, um, time off work to go, you know, do your PAP or your eye exam or whatever it is. Um, but I think it's just reminding people in the broadest of terms to take care of themselves. Yeah, it's such great advice. And you're certainly an advocate for yourself, for sure. And um, as we shared, hundreds of thousands of people in our country will find out that they have cancer this year alone. And we are in this together. We all know someone who's been affected, fought hard, and many of us have lost loved ones. Ariel's story is one of strength and grit, and we hope it inspired you today as we know it did. And as you navigate supporting others, you may even be encountered with your own battle with this disease or have other serious health concerns. So we send our best energies to those affected, and we truly feel that Ariel's story today is filled with some fuel to get through the tough stuff. And this is why we love the opportunity to sit down with warriors like her. So thank you so much for sharing and impacting our lives and the lives of others. Thank you so much, Arielle. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.